Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to the Islamic History Podcast. I'm your host, Mutaki Ismail. I guess you can call this episode 28 of season 5. This is really just a recap, a final discussion, an addendum to season 5 and the series we did on the partition of the Ottoman Empire. So let's begin with my final analysis of what happened with the Ottoman Empire with its involvement in World War I. First and foremost, the blame for the end of the Ottoman Empire, in my opinion, goes squarely on the Young Turks, especially the three Pashas that were the head of the Ottoman government during this time, uh, Enver Pasha, Talal Pasha, and Jamal Pasha. The Young Turks and these three Pashas, they really are the reason why the Ottoman Empire joined the war. They're the reason for most of the problems in the last 10 years of the Ottoman Empire's life. So, first of all, the Young Turks forced um, the Sultan, the Ottoman Sultan, the Caliph, to become a figurehead. As we mentioned, I believe, in episode 24 and 25, I think it was Abdul Aziz, no, Abdul Hamid. Abdul Hamid II was the Ottoman Sultan. He ruled as an autocrat for about 30 years or so and eventually was forced to become a figurehead. Go back and listen to 24 and 25 if you want some more details on that. Now, we can discuss, well, not right now at least, we can discuss about whether how much, um, how much importance you would put um, republicanism or I don't want to say democracy, but democracy, how you can incorporate that into a modern Islamic state like the Ottoman Caliphate was trying to become or the Ottoman Empire was trying to become. But that's a broader discussion. However, definitely, I would say that to use force to make your leader become a figurehead is probably against Islam. I don't think that's going to actually fly in the long run. And as we can see, it did not work out so well. But once again, that's a that's an, a broader discussion than why, than what I can really go into right now. But even beyond that, even beyond just forcing the Sultan to become a figurehead, and remember Abdul Hamid, for all his for all of his faults, he actually did do a pretty good job in maintaining and keeping the Ottoman Empire going for a good thirty years. One of the things I find ironic, I'm going a little off tangent here, as I can do sometimes. One of the ironic things I find is that people, a lot of secularists, they credit the Young Turks for trying to bring democracy into the Ottoman Empire. They do also blame them for getting involved in World War I, but then they go back and credit them for being, for being the basis upon which the, mod, the modern Republic of Turkey was built. And I can appreciate that, I guess, but no one's ever seemed to talk about the 30 years that Abdul Hamid reigned, Sultan Abdul Hamid II reigned without any major conflicts. He stayed out of wars with Russia. He kept his empire stable for some time. They didn't, they didn't lose any more territory. He was trying to get the empire out of the massive debt that his predecessors had got them into. But 
the Young Turks, they were filled with these Western ideas of nationalism and, and modernization is good. I'm not saying it isn't, but not the kind of modernization that they were trying to bring about. They were just, the Young Turks were really just trying to imitate their Western European um, neighbors. So I'm sorry, I have a negative opinion of the Young Turks, and I don't think that's going to change. It's not going to change, period. Uh, I can do more research on them, but from what I've seen so far, yeah, I'm not impressed. So even even with um, the forcing forcing Sultan Abdul Hamid II to become a figurehead, and Abdul Hamid II wasn't perfect. He he made a lot a few errors, and he's mostly blamed for some massacres against the Armenians before the major massacre of 1915. He's blamed for that. However, while he was the ruler, and ultimately the buck stop the buck stops with him. You can't ignore that. However, I read in some of my research that actually the young Turks who were trying to get him, or they weren't necessarily the young Turks yet, but there were the people who eventually became the young Turks. So at this, at this time, I think they were called the young Ottomans. And lots of all these different underground secret groups that are trying to overthrow this, the um, Ottoman Sultan. They actually uh, put a lot of that blame on him when it pro- he probably didn't, didn't really deserve all of it. But that's conspiracy theories. I really don't know. I will have to do more research to see research to see how much he was actually responsible for that. If he actually gave the order for it, and I really don't think he did, or if a lot of that violence and actually a lot of the violence before the the major massacre of the Armenians in 1915, a lot of that was more localized, local military leaders, local governors, local tribes, I don't say tribes, local populations really just out and rioting and massacring the um, Armenians in their region. And they weren't coming from the Sultan himself. They were coming from uh, basically local groups. Now, once again, as, as the leader, the buck, the buck does stop with uh, the Sultan, but the name that they gave these massacres, these, the Hamidian massacres, they called them the Red Sultan, stuff like that. I'm some of what I've read seems to be like this is a he was blamed for things that he didn't necessarily order himself. I'll have to do more research to see how how much blame he really does deserve for those uh, for those events before the major massacre of the Armenians in 1915. The one that happened in 1915 that's purely on the Young Turks. By that time, the Ottoman Sultan had been. Abdul Aziz was dead anyway. I'm sorry, I keep saying Abdul Aziz. Abdul Hamid was dead by then, and the Sultan was a figurehead anyway. So, the uh, the one the one that happened in 1915, where all the uh, debate is about whether it was a genocide or not, that was done by the Young Turk government, pure and simple. No, no way around that. So, I have more reasons to dislike the Young Turks, and ultimately, the Young Turks also got the Ottoman Empire involved in this war. The Ottoman Sultan didn't want to get into the war. I think it was Mehmed V who was the Sultan after Abdul Hamid. The Ottoman Sultan did not want to get into the war. Um, most of the parliament, I believe, if I remember correctly, it's so long ago that I did this series, that I started the series. They didn't want to get into the war. But the three Pashas, the leaders of the Young Turks, they wanted to get into this war. And so they deliberately opened fire on the Russians when nobody, not the Russians, not the British, not the French, nobody had any problems or any issues or any beef with the Ottoman Empire. 
And the the young Turks just come up and get into this war. They could have just remained neutral. There was no Islamic reason to get involved in World War One. It was a it was a fight amongst a bunch of Christians, a bunch of a bunch of Christian nations, nothing to do with Islam. No reason for Muslims to get involved. And the young Turks decided to do to, to get into this war. There was no moral reason to get involved. The Ottoman Empire wasn't under threat. They you know, the German government, the Germany wanted the Ottoman Empire to get involved, but the Germany wasn't saying you're either with us or against us. Germany said, if you're gonna help us, come on in. But it wasn't as if uh, they were being pressured to get in. The Ottoman Empire could have just remained neutral and see where the chimps uh, fell after the whole war was over. And maybe they could have uh, benefited from that, but they did not. They decided to get in. Now, regarding the involvement of the Young Turks, um, there are lots of conspiracy theories and that I've seen online. A lot of these stating that the, um, the Young Turks were infiltrated by uh, basically Jews and Freemasons and that they orchestrated this whole plan to destroy the Ottoman Caliphate and hand Jerusalem to the Jews and Zionists. Now, I'm not one who to really go with um, these kind of conspiracy theories. First of all, it is true that many of the young Turks were Freemasons. Yeah. And I've done a series on Freemasonry and Islam, and I've given my opinion about the Freemasons and all that kind of stuff back then. Go back and listen to it if you're interested. But uh, these young Turks who were Freemasons, they were Muslim. They were not Jewish Freemasons. They were Muslim Freemasons. So I, I don't know how much you can really blame Jews for that. You really can't at all. Another thing is that there was no animosity between Jews and the Ottoman Empire. They had a pretty good working relationship. The I can't say everything was perfect, but... There was no, at least Jews living within the Ottoman Empire, and even those living outside the Ottoman Empire until the war started, there was no historical animosity or problems or or disputes between uh, the Jewish world and the Ottoman Empire. And in fact, the Ottoman Empire had done a lot of work to save Jews from European uh, anti-Semitism. So to just try to um, put all the blame on on Jewish people, that's per first, first of all, giving them way too much credit that they could have thought so far in advance and planned everything perfectly where all these things would have happened to ultimately lead to the downfall of the Caliphate and, and the, um, the Balfour declaration and the conquering or the conquest or occupation of Jerusalem, however, however you want to put it, it's really giving them way too much credit. But also at the same time, we got to be, be careful about, uh, anti-Semitic thoughts or anti-Semitic um, um, statements or this kind of stuff saying that Jews or that's that's anti-Semitic or anti-Jewish. However you want to understand Arabs are Semites too. I get that. Look, we can criticize Israel. Absolutely. And we should criticize Israel and its policies and we can demand justice for the Palestinians, but we don't have to resort to anti-Semitic tropes or anti-Jewish tropes. We don't have to do all that kind of stuff. These things happened over a hundred years ago. I'm not convinced that this was some large conspiracy orchestrated by by Jews. It was orchestrated by Freemasonic Muslims. I'm I'm sorry. That's just what it was. 
this thing was, I don't say orchestrated because I don't think they wanted to, um, I don't think the Young Turks wanted the dissolution of the empire either. They just wanted power. And they were Freemasons, and so they were influenced by Freemasonic and Western thought. I don't think they deliberately wanted to destroy the Ottoman Empire. That wouldn't really do them any good. Now, regarding Kamal Ataturk, that's a different story, but that's for next season, inshallah. And I'll talk about next season soon. Now, we can blame Zionism, the Zionist movement, for the Balfour Declaration, which was mostly an English thing. The Zionist movement, during this period at least, was mostly, I don't say English, mostly a British thing. So we can blame the Zionist movement for the Balfour Declaration, which ultimately established British policy for the colonization of Palestine. We can blame the Zionist movement for that. But at the time of World War I, not all Jews were Zionists. I mean, really, it was mostly just British Jews who were Zionists, and not even all British Jews were Zionists. American Jews had not really bought into the Zionist movement yet. Um, Eastern European Jews had nothing to do with it. It was mostly a British thing. So, um, like I said, I, you can blame Zionism and, and Zionist and the Zionist movement for the things that it did, which is mostly the Balfour Declaration and the colonization of Palestine afterwards. But there's a lot of history between the Balfour Declaration and the establishment of the modern Israeli state in 1948. There's a lot of history in between, then a lot of things have to happen before you get before you get to that point. So. Um, another thing is that, quite frankly, um, Great Britain conquered Palestine. And Ottoman Empire should not have gotten involved in that war. Great Britain conquered Palestine. And once they conquered Palestine, they did what they wanted to do with it. And part of their policy, as we mentioned, Lloyd George was a Christian Zionist. And he wanted, he felt it, it was his religious duty and he also saw a strategic a strategic value in it. He wanted to create a Jewish homeland in Palestine. That's what he wanted to do. I can say that he deserves a lot of the blame for what's going on right now. And well, for what happens and for the um, not for what's going on right now. Let me go back a little bit. He deserves a lot of the blame, a blame for the problems that resulted in the situation that we have right now. And let's not forget, let's not forget that Great Britain got a lot of help from Muslim Arab rebels. And you can't blame Jews or Freemasons or Zionists for that kind of stuff. You can't blame them for the Arab revolt. That's a 100% Muslim thing. Muslims did that. <laughs> I, I hate to, yeah, I can say whatever, however you want to put it, no one made Sharif Hussein rebel against the Ottoman Empire. And the word Arab revolt is a misnomer because it did not involve most Arabs. That was a British term trying to make it seem as if, if, as if it was this major Arab movement. It was not. It was Sharif Hussein and those few people who supported him. And even those that supported him, the vast majority of them had to be bribed. And even then, they were mostly a guerrilla force doing what would have been... Would, would it be con probably considered terrorism right now, mostly attacking Ottoman um, supply dumps and attacking um, communication lines. They did a little, they did some fighting against um, 
Ottoman forces, particularly the Gulf of Aqaba and things like that. But for the most part, that was a very small group of Arabs who were involved in the so-called Arab revolt. Most Arabs did not participate in rebelling against the Ottoman Empire. And the, um, the, the end of Sharif Hussein, Allah knows best, but in my opinion, is a fitting punishment what happened to him at the end. He lost, I won't say everything, but he lost a lot. And we'll discuss it more in the next season. But Sharif Hussein, he, he made a, a, a treaty, made a, a deal. I won't say a deal with the devil, but he made a deal with the British. And he wound up with almost nothing. But that will come next season, inshallah, season six of the Islamic History Podcast. So that's really my recap. Well, there's a few other things I want to talk about. Um, yeah, there's a lot more I want to talk about, actually. One thing about this season, that uh, the season five that we just went through, uh, my opinion of the Ottoman Empire has changed over the course of working on this series. In the very beginning, and I'll discuss the beginning soon, inshallah, I'll discuss how this whole thing started. In the very beginning, I had an overall negative opinion of the Ottoman Empire. And that's, I didn't have as much understanding of the series of events that led to the partition of the empire as I do now. But I blamed the Ottoman Empire for losing the caliphate. I was really irked by how Turkey used to be the, the, the heart of the Ottoman Empire. And now it was, this is like in the early 2000s, so before Erdogan became the uh, president of Turkey. But in the in, uh, early 2000s and late 90s and all, Turkey was this hyper-secular nation. It was more secular than the United States. How And this, you hear these, these um, quotes a lot about how Muslims sometimes have more rights in the United States than in some Muslim countries. Well, Turkey was an example of that. I mean, that Muslims can wear their hijabs and Muslim women can wear their hijab in public and places in the United States, but they couldn't do it in certain parts of Turkey, which used to be the caliphate. So, you know, and also the last 100 years of the Ottoman Empire were really not impressive. They lost so many wars. They had so many internal issues. There was, um, this wasn't really in the last 100 years, but there were instances of regicide. And it was, there were, the Ottoman Empire had a few ugly moments in it. And those ugly moments stood out to me more than anything else. And I, as I mentioned, I hadn't done as much research on them as I have now. So at the beginning of this series, which you can hear, if you go back to the early episodes of season five, you'll hear that my tone has an old, I have an overall negative opinion of the Ottoman Empire. But as I continued to study and I learned more about them, I came to appreciate the Ottoman Empire for a lot more. I mean, they were up against so many difficulties and yet, it still existed for over 600 years. I mean, that is really impressive. I don't think any Muslim um, government lasted that long. I got to do my research, um, but the Umayyads only lasted about 100 years. 
I think the Abbasids were maybe about 500 years, and they had, you know, they went from eh, a good portion of the of the Abbasid Empire was actually uh, based in, I think, Egypt. It was weird. I, I gotta go back and do my research on that one. But I don't think the Abbasid Empire was even 600 years. I think it was uh, 500 years only. And f- before the Ottoman Empire to go 600 years. And it's the closest thing we have to a modern caliphate. And so as I was doing more research into the, the last hundred years or so of the Ottoman Empire, um, I, I got to see maybe a glimpse of how the caliphate would work if it existed today. If it, in the, the bureaucracy and the pageantry and all these things that would surround a modern Islamic caliphate if one were to exist and I just grew to really appreciate and um, I don't want to say love so much, but I really appreciate the Ottoman Empire a lot more now than I did at the beginning. I mean, they had some good sultans. I mean, they had a lot of crappy ones, but there were some good ones, actually, who set really good Islamic examples. So um, in, the, in the later years, um, until really... The nationalism and stuff really, you know, mostly perpetrated by the Young Turks. Before that, really started started um, creating all these divisions within the empire. The Ottoman Empire did a pretty good job of being fair and even-handed with a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-religious society. It wasn't until the last uh, seventy years or so, and really a lot of that. There was different periods of that also where things really started breaking down between the Ottoman Empire and its uh, Christian uh, subjects. But before that, it did a pretty good job of keeping everything together and being fair and even-handed with the various people. As I mentioned, the Ottoman Empire and the and its Jewish inhabitants, its Jewish citizens, had a pretty good working relationship. I won't say it was perfect, but it was pretty good. Jews in the Ottoman Empire definitely experienced a much better life than Jews in Eastern Europe. Let's put it like that. Okay, so, and actually, anyway, there's a lot, of, I, I can I can go deep into it, but there was Jews who, who managed to come to high levels within the Ottoman government, um, within the military. They had, it was, it was a, it wasn't perfect by any means, but there was a lot of good going on with the Ottoman Empire, and I came to appreciate that towards the end. And um, really, as I mentioned, the downfall of the Ottoman Empire to me really falls onto the shoulders of the Young Turks. And uh, yeah, I still don't like them. <laughs> I stood for that. So I want to discuss a little bit more about how this series came into being. How this idea for the downfall or the fall of the Ottomans or the partitioning, partitioning of the Ottoman Empire, how this all came about. Well, we got to go all the way back to 2018. Okay, and... Maybe even further back than that. But initially, initially I wanted to do a series on the Soviet-Afghan War. I've been intending to do one of those for the longest time. Probably since I began in this podcast. I've been wanting to do a, a series on the Soviet-Afghan War. In 2018, I was working on season four. I had just finished... Not just finished, but I finished season three, which ended with the battle uh, or the massacre at Karbala. And I was just doing a lot of um, 
I had done series on Burma and the Rohingya, on the um, West African Muslim empires. And I wasn't sure where to take that season because I was kind of in the middle. I was, wasn't sure how I wanted to do this. Um, I knew I wanted to do a Soviet-Afghan war series, but I wasn't sure how to approach it. In 2018, I went to visit my sister in Chicago. While I was in Chicago, it's going to sound crazy, but while I was in Chicago, I went to see the movie Avengers Infinity War. And I'm a big comic book fan, if you didn't know that. But when I saw that and I saw how they took all these movies over the previous 10 years and and were dropping hints here and there to bring it all into this big culminating event. And we're talking about not Endgame. Endgame was 2019. This was Infinity War in 2018. I saw how they brought all of these things together. I was like, yeah, now that's what I want to do. That's something I want to do something like that, but from an Islamic history perspective. So I wanted to bring together these different events that led up to the Soviet Afghan war and doing my pre-research for the Soviet Afghan war. I realized I learned that there were uh, three major events that took place in the late seventies that led up to the war. These three events were the Iranian revolution, which took place in 1979. Actually, I think all these things took place in 1979, the Iranian revolution the execution of former president of Pakistan, Zulfikar Ali Bhutto. I think it was president, not prime minister. I can't remember. I think it was president. Yeah, president of Pakistan, Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, and the Egypt-Israeli peace agreement. All these things took place in 1979, and all of those three events ultimately pushed the Soviet Union to invade Afghanistan. And I was my plan. My plan was to discuss those three events while dropping hints within each story that would ultimately lead to this major series on the Soviet-Afghan war. Well, I started with the Iranian Revolution. And if you go back to, I forgot, it's somewhere in 2018. Go back, you'll see the Iranian Revolution. That part went off as planned. The Iranian Revolution, I discussed that devoted two episodes to the Iranian revolution. And if you go, if you listen to it again and go to the end of the second episode, I leave it with, in the epilogue, I drop some hints about tensions brewing between the United States and the Soviet Union leading that was supposed to lead up to uh, further events that will lead the, uh, the Soviet Union to invade Afghanistan. So the Iranian revolution idea went off fine. The Pakistan thing kind of fell apart. That's when everything didn't work out. Um, after the Iranian Revolution, my intention was to discuss the execution of Zulfikar Ali Bhutto and how that led to, um, and also drop hints in there, basically um, foreshadowing the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Well, I just got too deep invo- too deeply involved in the history of Pakistan. I meant to do two episodes on Pakistan. I wound up doing five episodes. I got way off track with, um, I got way beyond Zulfikar Ali Bhutto's ex- execution. I-, I hardly even talked about his execution. So I didn't, I think I did mention it, I think in the, ep- in this, in the episode called The Three A's of Pakistan. I think I mentioned it, but I didn't really go into detail about it like I wanted to. And 
At that point in time, my plan was kind of falling apart. But I thought, you know, well, maybe I can um, still try to um, salvage my idea. While I was working on these episodes about Pakistan, as I mentioned, there are five episodes on Pakistan, which is not normal. Usually I, I try to limit it to two. But I was doing, I did the history of Pakistan when actually I was supposed to only do this event, the execution of Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto. But I, I wound up doing the history of Pakistan. So yeah, you're going to do a history of a nation. It's going to take a long time. And that's where I went off track. But in between these five episodes for Pakistan, they were spread out over several months. And so there was lots of inactivity on my part, um, lack of episodes getting posted. And so um, a brother who's a fan of the show, I mentioned his name, um, Brother Zulfikar Saril, she helps me a lot with the research. He gave me a book called the Peace to End, a Peace, The Peace to End All Peace. And as I was reading this book, I said, oh, this is a good thing. I can just talk about this book um, as bonus episodes in between um, this uh, in between the history of Pakistan, I could talk about this book just to keep things going. Because I would read this, you know, read a couple of chapters and talk to you about it and go on. And it's just meant to fill in time while researching Pakistan. And so that's what happened. So the first 12 episodes of this series were actually recorded as bonus episodes back in 2018. I never really intended to take it to the where it is right now. I just intended to, you know, discuss some chapters of this book and, you know, bridge the gap between episodes on Pakistan and then continue on with my plan for the Soviet Afghan war. While I was preparing, while I was doing this, both doing the research for Pakistan, or actually I've got to admit, brother Zofikas Roche did most of the research on Pakistan. I, I mostly just put the episodes together, but um, while I was working on the, on the Pakistan episodes, I also asked uh, Brother Zulfiqar Saros to help me with the research for the Israel-Palestine conflict because I was still trying to go along with my plan. That was my plan. Continue with this Avengers, you know, Infinity War idea of mine and bring this all together to the Soviet-Afghan war. So I asked him to um, do research on Israel-Palestine. Um, by the time he got all the research back to me, I was wrapping up with with uh, Pakistan, I was ready to get in, and um, I had, like I said, 12 episodes into Soviet Afghan war, I'm sorry, 12 episodes into the Ottoman involvement in World War One. but then I started reading the research that he did on Israel and Palestine, and that story caught me, that his research was so thorough, I just could not leave that history behind, and the story of the the history of the Israeli Palestinian conflict going you know it was just an, going all the way back to biblical times and bringing it forward and evolving the evolution of the Muslim world and the um, the different things that the Israelites and the children of Israel went through you know, thousands of years ago and stuff like that it was just it was an amazing story and I just could not do just Egypt-Israel peace agreement. I just couldn't do it. So once I got that research back from the brother regarding Israel and Palestine, um, that kind of threw, threw me off again because that story was just so good. And that that is what led to the last episode of season four, 
which is entitled Israel and Palestine Part 1. My intention was to just go ahead and wrap up Israel and Palestine, do about maybe two or three episodes on it, but go deep into the history, which is why that episode is like an hour long. And as one person described it, it's like a fire hose of information because I was trying to cram so much information into these one into these single episodes to get to that point, but it just didn't work out. At the end of that episode, I realized I had left off with the beginning of World War One, And I also had 12 episodes, bonus episodes on this book I was reading about the Ottoman Empire's involvement in World War One, And I saw the connection. Uh, I said, well, here it is. I mean, I have this series on, even though I didn't intend for it to be a real series, I have these episodes on the Ottoman Empire and its involvement in World War One. I end Israel-Palestine Part 1 with the beginning of World War One. And at first, I didn't know what to do with these bonus episodes regarding the Ottomans. I was considering spinning them off into a totally separate podcast. I was thinking about maybe making them exclusive episodes for Patreon subscribers. I didn't really know what to do with them. But finally, I, I realized that this is it. Man. You have to... I had to make that connection between the end of Israel-Palestine Part 1 and World War One and the Ottoman Empire and then bring it back to Israel-Palestine Part 2 sometime in the future, inshallah. And that's what led me to make the decision to take those 12 bonus episodes that I had made, that I had made back in 2018 as just a bridge the gap thing in between real episodes and turn them into the beginning of season five. So I took those 12 episodes, turned them into season five, and then I finished off season five by properly completing the partition of the Ottoman empire. So I started, I did more research. I went beyond that one book, a piece to end all piece. Um, my brother gave me another book called uh, the fall of the Ottomans. I used that one. I did much more research beyond just those books. So, and that's why these, the last few, the last um, 12 episodes or so from basically episode 15, maybe 14, I think 14 actually, from episode like 13 or 14, I can't remember which one, but around that time, all the way to the end of the series, these are, I got to admit, well-researched, in-depth, um, very broad discussions on the Ottoman Empire and on the war on World War One itself and all the different factors coming into it. So that's why to me in my opinion the last 15 episodes or so of this of this um series are really I won't say my best work, but it's pretty they're pretty darn good if you ask me. But so that's what we, that's what happened. So inshallah that's how season five came about. Not inshallah, inshallah's for the future. Um Season five came about in that manner, you know, bonus episodes being turned into real episodes and then decided to go ahead and finish the story and connect it to Israel, Palestine, part one, which I did, which I completed, I think, back in September, October of 2018. So season six, as you heard with the end of the last episode, that will discuss the evolution or the first couple of years of these new nations or lands or mandates 
that were carved from the Ottoman Empire. This, of course, includes Israel. So we're going to go through all the nations that I mentioned. I've got uh, Turkey, um, Syria, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and finally, Israel and Palestine. So we're going to go through that history, inshallah, in season six. And so you'll see how the Middle East became the mess that it is right now as we go through that. Regarding my original plan about the Soviet-Afghan war, I have no idea when I'll get back to that one. Um, right now, after season six, the plan is to um, do the Bosnian conflict of the 1990s. So I don't know. Um, Soviet-Afghan war might be on the back burner for a while. We'll see. Um, Alano's best. We'll see how that turns out, inshallah. Uh, going forward, as do as I've done in the past, I'm going to have to take a break between seasons. Season five is finished. I got to start working on season six. Most of the research for season six is already taken care of, but I still got to go through it, prepare the episodes, load them up and get them out there. But I'm, I'm not going to forget about you. I'm going to try not to go silent for too long. I do have some bonus episodes planned between uh, now and the beginning of season six, inshallah. Um, another thing I have to work on is I've kind of neglected my subscribers, my Patreon subscribers, um, Islamic History Exclusive. I'm really sorry about this. This uh, this season has, uh, season five has kind of drained all of my attention and energy. So I got to get back to working on that. So I will pre periodically in between, the be between now and the beginning of season six, I'm going to release bonus episodes, and i got another one planned for you next week, inshallah. Be patient as I put together Season 6, and hopefully I'll have it out to you in a couple of months. I don't know how long it's going to take me, but considering, like I said, all the research is done, I think it'll be pretty quick, inshallah. At least quicker than normal. Hopefully it won't take me the six months, like like uh, between 4 and 5, Season 4 and Season 5. Hopefully, hopefully it won't take that long. Now, a few more things to wrap up here before we um, before we close out for this season. Um, a lot of people ask for season one of the Islamic History Podcast. I know I've explained this before, but I'm going to try to explain it again anyway. Yes, the Islamic History Podcast begins with season two. And that is that begins with Abu Bakr's caliphate, the death of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and the beginning of Abu Bakr's khilafat, all the way through all the way through to the end of the for righteous khulafa. That's what season two is. Season three is a conflict between um, um, Hussein ibn Ali and the Umayyad, um, the Umayyad uh, regime. And because season two begins with the Prophet's death and with Abu Bakr's khilafat, a lot of people believe that season one is about the life of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Season one was never the life of Prophet Muhammad. Season one was history from the Quran. I took specific stories from the Quran and discussed the hist the history behind those stories. This this included um like um, Prophet Suleiman and his interactions with uh, Queen Belkis talked about um, uh, Prophet Musa and his um, interaction with um, with uh, Khidr, um, 
the green the green man talking about um prophet ibrahim alayhi salam and his um his uh dealings with his two wives there is things like that so um also um another one which i thought was actually interesting was the also did about the Zainab, the marriage of Zainab and Zaid, Zaid ibn al-Harith, I think. Um, um, yeah, Zaid ibn, Zaid ibn al-Harith, yeah, the Prophet's adopted son. Yeah, that's also uh, discussed in the Quran. So that's the reason why, uh, that's basically, I'm just reminiscing these old episodes I did years ago. But that's what season one was. And season one is mostly history from the Quran, and I was pretty new at the Islamic History Podcast. Really, that's that's my first really foray into the Islamic History Podcast. There's lots of things that I, you know, really didn't do right. I mean, most of that is really just me rehashing stories from Tafsir to Ibn Kathir and Ibn Kathir's stories of the prophets. It's not what I would consider real true blue research on my part. And, and those books are good, but it's not... I just didn't think that they um they were... The quality that I would want out in the world and as public. So I, I put those behind the paywall for Patreon subscribers for those who want to get it. If you want to hear about the life of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I at one point in time I did have the Sita as a Patreon exclusive series. But you know, that Muslim guilt hit me and uh, I just didn't feel right asking people to pay to learn about the Prophet's life. You know, you don't have to know about the Ottoman Empire to be a good Muslim. But you kind of got to know about the Prophet's life. I think that's important for, uh, I don't want to say that wrong. So if you don't know about the Prophet's life, does not mean you're not a good Muslim. But it will uh, it will um, have a huge impact on your Iman if you know about the Prophet's life. So I take that back. Um, knowing about the Prophet's life is a huge benefit for your Iman and for your faith. And so I really felt guilty about having that behind a paywall. So... Um, I finished the life of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam uh, sometime late last year. I can't remember when, but I took all those episodes and they're now free for everybody, but it's on a separate podcast. I, I didn't want to put it as part of the Islamic history podcast. I wanted that separately. So that podcast is called the Prophet Muhammad podcast. And so if you look for it, I think it's on all platforms. It should be. You can listen to my series on the life of Prophet Muhammad. And actually, that series began back in 2013. Um, it was an online class I was doing for a group of um, new Muslim women con- women converts. So I was doing the Prophet's life, but things happened where I couldn't finish it. So the first 13 episodes are really covering the first 13 years of the Prophet's mission from um, just before his birth up until the, um, the Hijrah, just before the Hijrah. So that's much of what um, I did back in 2013. I left it alone, came back in, I don't know, 2015, 2016, wrapped, no, I, finish. I think it was actually maybe 2017. I don't know, but I came back and eventually wrapped up the series um, and went, went through the whole history of um, the Prophet's time in Medina up until the Prophet's death. And all that is now available for free, for everyone, inshallah, forever. Well, nothing's forever, but for as long as Allah wills for it to to be um, available, it is available, inshallah. So 
just look for the Prophet Muhammad podcast on whichever, um, I don't know, whichever platform you use. If you cannot find it, if you're using some obscure, strange podcasting app or platform, let me know so I can get it added to that. I thought I added it to everyone, but to every uh, all, all the major podcasting platforms. But if I missed any of them, let me know and I'll try to get it there as quickly as possible. So I think that's about it. Last two things I want to remind you of, Um, as I mentioned, we're going to be gone for a couple of months as I work on season six. We're going to have some interviews and some Q&A episodes as bonus episodes between now and season six. If you have any questions about Islamic history, about Islamic history, please, not your thick questions. That's not my that's not my jam. Please send them in. You can send them to IslamicHistoryPod at gmail.com, IslamicHistoryPod at gmail.com. Send in your questions about Islamic history. And uh, if I can't answer them, I have uh, uh, some really good contacts, uh, contacts, uh, Muslim historians and Muslim history fans who can help me with this, inshallah. So send them in and I'll be uh, I'll try to make an episode out of some of your Q&A, some of your questions. If you haven't yet, we sort of remind you, if you haven't yet and if it is not a financial burden, um, consider joining Islamic History Exclusive. That's how we keep this podcast going. Helps pay for good equipment, helps pay for the hosting and all this kind of stuff. And it keeps me motivated knowing that people um, enjoy this podcast enough to hand over some of their hard-earned cash. And I truly appreciate it. May Allah reward you for that. I cannot, I cannot stress how many people have contacted me saying that this episode helped rekindle their interest in Islam, helped um, help build up their faith, and I'm I'm surprised because I'm I'm mostly talking about Muslims fighting and mostly a lot of warfare and a lot of things that aren't so great. But people find benefit in learning about their past, and Alhamdulillah, it's good, and it's helping to set straight a lot of the misconceptions that people have about Islam and about Muslims and about Islamic history. So I can see the benefit of that. And one of the big things is that during Ramadan, people don't want to listen to music and stuff. Muslims don't want to listen to music during Ramadan, which I, I totally get. And so a lot of them tune in and become subscribers during Ramadan. And so this helps them a lot. So, yeah, if you can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber, Alhamdulillah, may Allah reward you and know that a portion, that hopefully a portion of what you contribute is helping some Muslims somewhere out there um, improve their faith and Allah knows best and if you can't or if you don't want to it's fine no pressure or anything like that if you can't then you know do what you can to at least help spread it's the um the message if you just want to like it share share it on your on your um social media platforms or just send me a thank you I appreciate those also make dua for the podcast that so we can continue doing this for a long time as well as, as long as Allah wills inshallah um I'm not sure if you can combine those two phrases. Allah knows best. That's it. That's it, brothers and sisters. So if you can join the Islamic History Podcast, go and join. We're going to wrap up the uh, life of Salahuddin Alayubi over there. Once we finish with that, we're going to move on to the Umayyad dynasty, inshallah. And as I mentioned, the story regarding the Middle East and how it became what it is today, that will continue in a few months, inshallah. Until then. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.